0: Welcome to The View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Lisa Rubin. Katie Harms. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I am excited to talk to you today because I am I am beyond hooked on a show, and I want to talk about it, because I think it has so many elements in it that are so interesting. My unorthodox life. Katie, I was going to talk to you
1: about that today, (laughs) because I
0: am also obsessed, but for a lot of different reasons. Mm, There's so many layers to this show, but Julia Hart, who is the main not character it, it, this is reality television but i think this is reality at its best if the, if there is such a thing and i think what she has done for young women for the modeling industry for those who are living a very protected protected uh the jewish religion right And this is no different than there are in Catholicism, in Lutheranism, and in any religion you will find different levels of it if you really start looking at it. But the concept of this person having spent the last eight years free – She has changed her entire life and what she did. And we're not going to give away or talk about the show particularly because it's just, it's worth the watch. It's worth the binge. My daughter said to me, one of my daughters said to me, I'm so overtired because I cannot stop watching my unorthodox life. She fascinates me because it is the absolute, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It absolutely shows that a person who has no encumbrances and really doesn't know how you go about something according to almost societal norms has been able to shake that up and create something so incredible that when you throw that pebble into the, into the lake and it ripples out in such a good way. And in every person she touches, it fascinates me. I agree with you again, 100%. And,
1: you know, some people will watch us and say, oh, you know, it's reality and it's designer clothes and she drives a Rolls Royce and has a driver and all of those things. But that's not what is amazing me.
0: No, and that's really not the essence of Julia Hart.
1: It is not the essence of Julia Hart. And what she has done in an eight to 10 year period herself and what she has had to go through that she really doesn't talk about much of the behind the scenes is unbelievable. I mean, Katie, you and I doing this podcast and the little things that we've had to do to get the podcast recorded, produced, you know, all of social media, all of that, and look what she's done. yeah, it's <laughs> and now she's the CEO of the largest modeling agency in the world, right? And she is hands-on every day and sure she's now teaching her children mm-hmm. who came from a world that
0: didn't even know this world existed, right? And she is disrupting that modeling industry, uh, positive body image and all sorts of things that she's brought into it that you know as a as a taller person and, uh, a larger, I'm just going, I'm going to use the word larger person. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That is just absolutely who I am. I take up a little bit of space when I walk into a room and that's a good thing that's helped me along the way, but learning how to navigate through that. And had there been a Julia Hart back when I was growing up, or I was going through different periods of life where I just felt really like I didn't fit in, that would have been incredible. Now, I worked it out, but she's helping so many get past that. So I look at her as such a change agent. And it is amazing to see because every single person whose life she touches, I think she enhances. I agree.
1: And I am following her on Instagram because I just like to
0: watch how she operates. Yes, it's fascinating. It it's is fascinating. It's fascinating. And I'm going to I'm going to make a little segue here because our guest today is Leslie Lynch Jablonski. And Leslie Jablonski is a person who found herself very much leading a life that for unforeseen circumstances for Leslie, her son Jack was involved in a horrific accident playing hockey and was paralyzed and Leslie's entire life shifted. So while obviously it's very different from Julia Hart, we're we've got a person who actually has some great stories about New York. And when she worked there, who has really changed her life for the betterment of everyone that she touches. So I'm really excited to talk to Leslie. And I'm excited for you to meet her and hear Leslie's experiences and live life for a little bit through Leslie's eyes. Leslie Jablonski, thank you for being with us on the podcast. So excited to have you here. We've been talking about it for a while. Well, thank you for having
2: me, and thank you for the Rustica goodie bag. Oh, you, you won are me so with that.
0: Welcome. <laughs> that. was so good. Well, it's it's hard not to love Rustica, and we really thank them, for, thank them for our sponsorship as well. So it's been a fun, it's been a fun partnership, I guess. Yes, it has. Hopefully, it will continue. That's right. That's right. So. You and I met, um, and I think most everybody that's going to listen to this within the Twin Cities area is going to recognize your name. But you know, we're worldwide, Leslie. We we have listeners in Israel, and we have listeners in Italy, and, and all of that. And so we're pretty proud of that. But So give us a little background. When you and I met, your son had had a horrific accident.
2: Correct. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so my son is Jack. People know me as Jack's mom more <laughs> than they do, Leslie. But um, he was playing hockey in high school and unfortunately got checked from behind and crashed into the boards and down he went. Um, he was 16 years old at the time. And, um, you know, long story short, he's paralyzed. He's a quad. Um, so he's a C5, C6 um, injury, which is pretty high. Uh, So he's very limited in what he can do. But um, he is the most positive person I've ever met. And all through his injury when he was in the hospital to this very day, he's just kept a really positive attitude about life. And I think that's why our whole family and everybody around us has stayed positive as well. So it was a horrific accident, but we are also really, really blessed with the support that we received. And I mean, to this day, um, the community has been so good to us, and the hockey community, and the Benilde Saint Margaret's community where he went to high school. Um, so I am just so grateful for all of that. Oh, well, we
0: you know we we never really know why things happen sometimes, right? Correct. And so it really depends on how you what comes out of that and how you handle that. That really shows the rest of the world who you are, and what is so incredible to me is how you've taken that horrific accident in your entire family and the good that's been made of it and what you're trying to
2: do for other people. So now there's a foundation that was started, right? Right. So on the one-year anniversary of his injury, we started the Jack Jablonski Believe in Miracles Foundation. In the last year or so, we changed it to the Jack Jablonski Foundation because we don't think it's a miracle anymore that you can recover from paralysis. We actually know that you can because of all the research that we've been following. So I you're have getting goosebumps. I, I am
0: to- we are both. We're just. I mean, honest to God, I, I, I can't I, I, even tell you how emotional I am right now um, that it just came over me. Did you too? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm the just same way. Wow. Okay. That is.
2: That is. Incredible. It is. Um, there, it, I look back at it's almost 10 years now when Jack was injured and how much has changed. You know, we were told you'll never walk, you'll never move your arms, you'll never do this, you'll never do that. And it was basically accept your state of being now, you're par- paralyzed, you always will be. And, you know, this is how you're going to have to move on with your life. Okay, sure, you do have to do that. Obviously, you have to make a lot of adjustments. But we started doing a lot of research into what is going on. And long story short, um, there's there's a lot of amazing research projects happening where people are regaining function that they lost. Um, We're working with the Mayo Clinic right now to fund a research project there. It's really for paraplegics who are getting function back like stepping and standing. One of the patients we funded uh, walked the length of a football field with a walker, and that's not supposed to happen. But it's all done through this neuromodulation and electrical stimulation, and there's two different kinds. So for that study, uh, they do an implant of a device, and that's what helps trigger these functions. The other one that we're doing is at uh, UCLA, and it's actually um, happening through the pioneer of all this electrical stimulation. His name's Reggie Edgerton. So now his lab is working on an upper limb study which is for quads like Jack, who have really no hand function. A lot of people can't move their arms or, you know, they can't lift anything. So this is getting gripping back and picking things up and whatnot. And um, that could be the key to being more independent. And so we're funding that research project as well. So they're life-changing. And, you know, is Jack going to get up and walk? We don't know. I mean, he always says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to skate again. And I want to believe that. But if we could get back hand function, people are even getting bowel, bladder, sexual function, body temperature regulation. All of that is coming back based on some of these treatments. And people don't think about that. When you're paralyzed, you just think, oh, they can't walk. But so much is lost. And so that's what we're focusing on. You know, you can get these things back. So it's recovery. That's amazing. Now, Jack is living in California. He is. And tell us what he's doing. Okay, so um, first of all, I'll back step a little bit. When Jack was injured, he was determined to graduate high school on time, and he did. And then he was determined to go to college. Well, we thought he'd go to the U and he'd live at home. No, um, he wanted to go away and be a college kid. And we also knew that the warmer climate would be good for him. So he ended up going to USC, and he went on a scholarship from this organization called Swim with Mike. and. Mike was a USC college graduate. He was a swimmer. Uh, he was in a motorcycle accident. And like everybody did here, they raised money for the family, got him his van, the things he needed. And he did what we did. You know, you want to give back. So he started a foundation. And they give uh, scholarships to disabled athletes. And so that's how Jack went to college, you know, to, for their generosity. And they're actually based at USC at the time. And you could go anywhere in the country. There, People can go to any college that they want. But um, USC was just perfect for Jack. And so he'll be part of that organization forever. And
0: I think of that campus, having been there numerous times, what a beautiful campus to be on, mm-hmm. but really easy to navigate. Very when you easy. look at it from that standpoint, something I've never had to do before. But yes, as I'm thinking about it, there's not a lot of...
2: Um, buildings up hills. It's a very flat campus. Yeah, we actually toured UCLA one day and it was daunting. I mean, we were up and down hills and he couldn't get in every building. It was just really tough. And I left there feeling pretty down. And then the next day we went to USC. Oh my gosh, world of difference. And I could just see in Jack's face like yep, this is it. I want to go to school here. Unfortunately, he did. Yeah, that's fantastic. And graduated. and he graduated on uh, pretty much on time and had um uh, an
0: internship
2: that turned into a job, correct. So he interned with the LA Kings, which was fabulous. He was able to keep, you know keep in the hockey world, which is what his goal was. and uh, had an internship in their communication team. and then when he graduated, they interviewed him, like they interviewed everybody else, but he did get a job. Uh, with the Kings. So he does podcasting, he writes articles, interviews, coaches, players, He um, does a little analysis. I mean, he's loving it.
0: Well, and I have to tell you, um, for quite a while, I w- worked with Bob Sansevier.
2: Right. And
0: Jack came on and did his weekly with Bob on, on some of the days that I was on. And he just had a knack. I mean, he really was a natural when it came mm-hmm. to his play-by-play communication style that banter that he had with with, uh, Bob, and just in general. So it's nice to know that that's kind of
2: carried on. Right. I mean, that was a great opportunity for him. And I think he was in high school when he was doing that. And yes, you know, it was great that the Kings picked up on that and gave him an opportunity, and he just ran with it. And what Bob doesn't want anybody to know is he's just a big softy, that Bob (laughs) Sealer. I'll tell you,
0: (laughs) I do too. He's a great guy, I do too. He absolutely is. Well, that's fantastic. Now, let's get back to you for a minute because you find yourself, um, in your life, the mom of two busy hockey boys at the time, correct?
2: Right, and you were in. PR at the time, were you not? Right. I had my own PR business. I um, I kind of laugh now. I promoted shampoo and I worked with American Crew. I came from an, an Aveda background and then went and worked with an agency and we scored American Crew. After I had Max, my second child, I went off on my own and um, I basically stuck with shampoo. And then all of a sudden Jack's injured and it's like, I don't know what to do. But it's amazing how PR, you can promote anything. It doesn't matter if it's paralysis or shampoo, it all kind of follows suit. How long did it take you to get there? <clears throat> uh, well, uh, let's see. I started in New York, actually. Um, I worked at Mademoiselle magazine for almost 10 years. And yeah,
0: go back to there. Okay. That I
2: love that. Bring us back to that
0: point. Okay, because you saw the who Devil doesn't, We're... for those of us of a certain age, Mademoiselle
2: magazine was like I remember being a teenager, oh my reading gosh. the college issue on the beach, and I wanted to be one of those girls that they did the makeover with. Little did I know, someday I would be the person going out doing the makeovers on the girls. I mean, not actually doing the makeup, but we'd pick them out of the audience. we travel all over the country and do the on-location shows, and then uh, we started doing mall shows. So we were the first magazine at Mall of America to do a show. And uh, that was wow. part of their opening. Yeah, it was really fun.
0: Okay. And now, was Maureen there at Mall of America at the time? Yes. Isn't that funny?
2: That's Marie a fun McCormick, connection. Yes. Right? Yep. She was, I believe so. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Small world. It is a small world. It is world. a small we world. We love mall. Yeah. So then from there, so how we've got to get you, you're
2: a Jersey girl. I am a Jersey girl. And Bruce is my guy. No, and Bruce is kidding. your guy. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, he's the best.
0: I know. You have you have met him on a number of occasions. Yes, we have. But your very, very first Bruce Springsteen concert.
2: Uh, it was um, at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, and we had heard that he was going to be there to play a new record. And we went every Friday to see the John Eddy Band, which was a really fun band from Philadelphia. So we heard Bruce was coming, and we made sure we got there early. We all hightailed it out of New York. It was a Friday night in June 1984, and um, we got our spot right in front of the stage. And John Eddy comes out, and he's playing, and then all of a sudden, they bring a microphone out, and they put it right in front of me. Then I see a commotion to the side of the stage, and Ob, who was his biggest fan, I see her over there. I'm going, oh, my God, he really is here. Next thing you know, the John Eddie band leaves the stage, and the E Street band comes out, all of them. And then Bruce comes, and the microphone they put in front of me was for him. So now the crowd is pushing, and I keep falling on the stage, and my hands keep falling on his boots. And at one point, he leans down, and he's like, are you Okay. I'm just like, I can't even speak. (laughs) Like Looking into his eyes like, yeah, I'm doing just fine. (laughs) So he played the entire Born in the USA album, and it was a night I'll never forget. And uh, we came back. With you,
1: right? Next to you, with you?
2: I mean, literally, his feet were right in front of my hands. And, and, you know, everybody's pushing. I had a bruise on my leg the size of a softball from just trying to keep hold off yourself. the stage and hold myself up. But it was like the best bruise I ever got in my life.
0: Did you bring that meeting up to him when you... Did you tell him this story when you got to meet him with Jack? No.
2: So I totally choked. <laughs> <laughs> we got to see him before the Wrecking Ball tour. Um, it was November of 2012, and he was very nice to let us come backstage before the show. So we're talking, and Hurricane Sandy had just happened, so we're doing Jersey Talk. My brother lives at the Jersey Shore. I just, it didn't dawn on me to tell him this story because we were so wrapped up in current events and whatnot. He wanted to know what happened to Jack and all that. So I need a redo. Yes. I need a redo with him. I just have a feeling you'll get that redo sometime. I hope you're right. I I think you will.
0: You know, maybe Bruce will listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Patty will. Strange, maybe Patty will. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be incredible. Okay. So do I remember correctly your husband is a Minnesotan?
2: Yes. So how did you two meet? So he was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, working what? for 3M. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, Hoboken's great. Hoboken I is great. I know.
0: I know someone in Hoboken, and I absolutely, okay. they
2: love it. It's a fun town. So I hung out in Hoboken. I had an apartment elsewhere, but I was there all the time. And that particular day was an all-day festival. It started with a run in the morning, three bands. The town sold out of beer that day, all the liquor <laughs> stores did. So we ended up in this bar that night called the Elysian, and a mutual friend just said to everybody, go there. So we did. I was there with my girlfriends. And he came in, and I thought he was cute, but I was also coming off of a whole bunch of bad blind dates, so I just thought I'm not interested in anyone. But he kind of caught my eye. And he knew a friend of ours, and we were all talking. And by the end of the night, um, you know, we were exchanging phone numbers, and I think we went out the next week, and that was it. Really? That was it. But five months after we left, I mean, we met, he got transferred back here. So he's a St. Paul guy. He was working for 3M. He got his master's. Once you get your master's, you can go back and work cor- in corporate, like marketing and sales and whatnot. So he got this job, and he said, do you want to go? And I didn't think twice. I said, Sure. You did. You yep. didn't think twice about Minnesota. No. And I had just been here to uh, do the Mall of America oh. show with Mademoiselle, and I liked it. I thought okay. it was a kind of so cool So you place. left
1: your job at Mademoiselle yes. to chase your guy.
2: Yes. And I'd been there a, a story long time. that has worked out. It did work out, yeah. <laughs> and we're still together. Um, I think I just knew it was time for a change and he was the right guy, and, you know, I was later, you know, we got married later in life. I was 32 when I met him, 33 when we got married, so I kind of, I knew what I wanted, and I was kind of tired of Mademoiselle, and it was time to maybe move on, and so here we are.
1: And then what did you do when you came here? What was your first job after (laughs) being with Mademoiselle?
2: Well, I freelanced for them, so I did shows, a lot of the shows west of the Mississippi, and then word got out that Somebody from Mademoiselle Magazine was in town. And do you remember Good Company? Oh, of course. Yes, the Stephen Sharon, Sharon show. Stephen yes. Sharon. So I did about 25 fashion segments for them. And then the show went down. But I guess soon or around that time, I was interviewing. I got a job at Aveda to do PR. Stayed there for a year and a half. And then went to this small agency. And that's when we worked with American Crew. And I was there for quite, a, uh, I guess, three years maybe. And then went off on my own.
1: Do you know someone by the name of Kurt Kiefner?
2: Yes, I know Kurt. He's a great guy. How do you know Kurt?
1: Well, I—he's uh, been cutting my husband's hair for over forty years, wow. and cut my kids' hair when they were little. And uh, we've known Kurt for forty years.
2: Wow. Kurt, he's genius. He—he's he's, the best. He's, he is.
1: He's kind of like a big brother to me, sort of.
2: Oh, you'll have to tell him I said hello. So when you
1: said American Crew, and I—I um, I had a feeling you had to know Kurt. So oh, yeah. I will definitely tell him hello.
2: Please do.
0: Please this do. This is this is the this is just perfect. This is why we love doing the podcast too, is because these connections all come together and that's a fun and thing. And he's
1: still doing what he does. I mean he cuts hair, but Yeah,
2: he's an educator. He's an educator. Yeah, yeah. he works with a lot of people out in the field. Um, yeah. He
1: He looks like Bruce Willis. I always tell him you look like Bruce Willis.
2: Oh, then he looks like my husband? No.
1: <laughs>
0: sort of. No no (laughs) it's the bald head that just does it right yeah dana gets occasionally told that he looks like him you know what i like and we're going to talk more about this after we take a quick break we're going to talk more about adaptability which kind of falls into the flexibility but Mm -hmm. i just feel like adaptable could be your middle name you're probably right let's come back to that after we take a quick break On the View in Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market, and Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store, Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items, think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the Take and Bake Cookies, available online or in-store truly a capstone for any get together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate a memory to make we highly suggest you always have these in your freezer rusticabakery.com find the food and drink you adore or try something new rustica bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked at rustica you're among favorites And we are back with Leslie Lynch Jablonski. Do you do you use the Lynch or do you just go by Leslie Jablonski?
2: Well, it's easier to go by Jablonski, but I keep Lynch in there just because I had a hard time letting go of that name. Well, yeah, it's me. Yeah, and then you know, stupid things like Facebook. I had to put my name in, then I was able to, you know, connect with all my high school friends and whatnot. If it was just Jablonski, no one would know who I am. Yeah. Do you
0: still have? High school friends that I mean, I can't believe how many high school friends I've stayed in contact with since
2: Facebook. Tons, like practically my whole class or whoever is on Facebook. How big was your class? 211. So okay, pretty so, small.
0: Yeah, pretty small.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I always just think about New Jersey as being large. <laughs> well, I grew up in a small town, ah. you know, 15 miles outside New York City. Okay. So it, it was a small, you know, Irish Catholic town. And, um, You know, the high school, I don't think we had more than a 1,000 kids at one time. In the whole thing. Yeah. So
0: where do you suppose, can you think back, your flexibility, your adaptability,
2: where did it come from? Probably from, you know, being a young child involved in a lot of activities. You know, I was always one person to kind of get involved in everything from sports to being class president to being on the student activities board to whatever, So I think you just learn how to adapt and be flexible to balance your schedule. And I've kind of been like that all my life. I don't sit still. I just can't. And if I do, something's wrong. I
0: wonder about that because I think of all the things that you fit in. Now, when when you came in and we were joking a little bit, but you said something interesting. When you start your day,
2: your your day actually starts the evening before. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Okay, so ever since I was little... I had to pick out what I was wearing for school, but I had to do it the night before, otherwise I would not sleep. I just I needed to know what I was going to wear, and I'm still like that. So I check the weather like a million times before I go to bed, and then I take my outfit out or at least it's nearby, you know, it, I know what it's going to be, and that's the only way I can get a decent night's sleep. Have you ever changed your outfit in the morning? Yes, yes. <laughs> Sometimes I'll look going, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, so yes, but at least you have something to start with and maybe I just switch out the shirt or it's warmer than I thought it would be so you edit something out. Um, but if I had nothing, I'd be, you know, I well, first of all, I'm late for everything and so that's another reason I think that I need to know what I'm going to wear, whether it's my workout outfit for the gym or, you know, I'm, out and about doing food shopping or I'm in a meeting, um, I just need to know.
1: I think that's great.
2: Thank you. I, I love, love that. And was- I think it's part of my being organized and trying to save on time and whatnot.
0: So when, you, when if
2: I were to go into your closet, would I find it very organized? My side. <laughs> 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 well, yes. I mean, I'm kind of anal. I um, Yeah. It's color coordinated and it's, you know, shirts are here, pants are here cardigans are here. Um, Shoes are here. You know, I have to switch out the seasons, you know, so winter is up top and everything I'm wearing now is where I can reach it. If you look at my husband's side, um, you know when he's in the closet because things are not put back where I think they should be. You know, all the golf shirts are together, color coordinated, his pants and whatnot. He has no problem hanging up a shirt backwards on a hanger and just shoving it in wherever it drives me crazy. So when he's not looking, I go back and fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. It, or, I mean, it just makes but it me bothers crazy. You. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you want to walk into a nice, tidy space. Yes. I think that's. Yeah. Again, another we reason talked why about we do that. the podcast. <laughs> yes. We yes. talked about that. Yeah. Like
1: I said on the podcast that I'm very much like you are, mm-hmm. and I have gone back to my house. To fix something that's bothering me, even <laughs> though there is nobody in the house that it is going to bother but me.
2: I totally understand that. Totally. Yes. yes. Yeah. I have done the same thing. Or if we're leaving town, I have to clean the house before we go. The laundry has to be done. The dishwasher has to have been run and emptied, garbage out. I mean, I am. Mike is like, I don't understand. We're not going to be here. So the three of us, the three of us share
0: that. I don't want to come back into mess. No. I don't want to come back into stinky garbage. I don't want to come back into dirty dishes in a in a dishwasher.
2: No. Oof. And I also don't want to come back to doing laundry. No, because I'm going to bring dirty laundry back. So I don't want to, you know, add to that. I already, you know, I I need to start with a a clean, empty basket. So here's a question for both of you. Mm -hmm. Do you make your bed? Do you
1: like to get in bed at night in a maid bed?
0: Me a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, me too.
1: But yeah. some people don't.
0: I oh, I no. it drives me crazy. It
1: drives me crazy. <laughs> you know no, I can't
0: either. When I was a very well, not even a young mom, but we had three kids quickly within five years. And I would go to bed with glee if I literally could drop the last load of clothes into the dryer, get it out, have it folded, put away before my head hit the pillow. And just for that five minutes before I fell fast asleep, everything in the house was clean. It just gave me glee. That's the best (laughs) feeling.
1: It's just... No, I can't have clothes in the dryer. They have to
0: be folded. And put away. All right. Well, now we are all... But I'm that's sure, just things... Yeah.
1: I've, I've been like this since I've been a little girl, too. Yeah. I mean, there's hmm. certain things that I can have messy, but not laundry, not dishes, not clothes. Right.
0: So then what can be messy? What's left? <laughs> I was going to um, ask that, too. Mail,
1: paper, <laughs> you know, oh. Oh. Uh, magazines. Mm. They don't have to be perfect on them. <laughs> Yes, they do. <laughs>
2: they do
0: for me. They do. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly but, no, I,
2: straightening everything.
0: Yeah. Certain it's things, fascinating. I'm, I'm okay. Well, so then from what I'm hearing from all of us, we've really had these tendencies since we were, since we were pretty young. Yeah. Right? I have a Tendency changed. to be organized. I don't think I have either. So I want to go back to something and bring this back to flexibility, adaptability, um, talking about the positivity that I feel that you have given to your son, Jack, and we don't really know the other as well, simply because he's led a little bit more of a private life. right? And- So talk about
2: that a little bit, that positivity and carrying that through. Well, I think, I mean, I always try to be positive, look at the bright side of things. And Jack was always like that from, you know, from the get-go. He was a happy baby. My other one was the colicky one that (laughs) no one could sleep when we had him. (laughs) Um, But Jack was just easygoing, you know, loves life. Um, He had a ton of friends, still has a ton of friends. He's just always looking at the bright side. And even when I'm not in that mood, or when he was hurt, it would have been so easy to spiral down. Because you could go in two directions, and he chose to go down the positive road. And so we followed. And to this day, you know, I have to remind myself of his attitude and make sure that I'm still in check. Now, how did that fall into play? Because you had, you've just gone
0: through cancer, Yes. I and you were it. cancer free as of I still June 23rd. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you know the dates better than me. Well, we we cheated. Okay. We looked it up. You read my caring bridge. We, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. Pe- actually peeked to your Facebook.
2: Oh, okay. Cool. Just,
0: to, just to get ourselves up to date. But yes, again, positivity.
2: Yeah. Well, I think of a year ago right now, I was starting treatment at Mayo Clinic and those were some dark days because we just did not know what was going to happen. And how, did it, how did it come on? How, what happened? Um, or how did you become aware? Uh, okay, so my eyes tend to be droopy and my lids were, I guess, hindering my vision. And so I went to a, um, an ophthalmologist who said, well, you know, we can fix this. And then we discovered that I had cancer um, a squamous cell spot under my lid that I actually thought was a like a sty a sty that yeah. would come and go, and he was more focused on the lids, and we got rid of the cancer, so we thought, but then a year later this past year last year, it came back, and I knew right away something was wrong and you know here we are in the middle of covid, and you know try to get into an eye doctor was tough, so I ended up going back to this guy, and my insurance didn't cover him because Mike had retired, and we switched insurance and I ended up going to a different ophthalmologist who right away said, this is bad. You know, we're not going to deal with your lids right now because one of them was drooping again. And she said, we we have to get rid of this cancer. And she did all kinds of scans and whatnot. And it turns out that it was not just in my eyelid, but all over my eye and behind my eye in the orbit. And so she said, the best thing we're going to do, we could do is remove your eye and everything around it. Well, that was shocking. And... I just could not fathom. And she said, you know, this is about saving your life. And when you hear those words, it's like an (laughs) eye-opener, no pun intended. (laughs) But it was like, okay, but how are we going to do this? And is there anyone else we can talk to? And she said, I have a colleague at Mayo Clinic who I want you to go see. And she put a team of people together. So we went down um, last summer. It was, I think, July 15th. And we met with ophthalmologists, radiologists, immunologists. I mean, every doctor that needed to be at the table was there. All of them said, we should remove your eye. And the radiologist said that, no, we can take care of this. We can treat this with proton beam radiation. I'm doing it on another patient right now, and it's working. And one ophthalmologist said, and I can treat it with um, interferon, which is a form of chemo, and we'll do drops and we'll do injections. Okay, let's give it a try. But the other doctors still warn me that it may or may not work, and even if it does work, we may still have to go back and revisit this. Okay, fine, well, we have nothing to lose at this point. So I go through treatment all last summer and into the fall and, you know, we got good news when it was done that they did remove the cancer. So I basically need to get through two years of being cancer-free before I can really give it a big sigh of relief. But every time I go back, the scans are coming up clean, and then they keep bumping me out rather than coming every two months or three. Now I'm going four, and then when I go back, if that's clean, then I don't have to go back for six months. So I'm feeling very optimistic, and, you know, the I I can only think positive right now. And I feel, you know, they did what they had to do. And I have lost my vision in my eye, but that's okay. You know, I'm adapting. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Um, You you just make the most of what you have. And
0: how are you going to move forward with it? Yeah, that's incredible. And when Jack found out you had cancer. Yeah,
2: he cried. (laughs) Um, We had a board meeting that night. And I was going to Mayo the next day to start, um, I guess, the meetings with the doctors And so um, everybody was Zooming because, you know, we're in the middle of COVID and uh, Jack had to announce to everybody that, you know, what was going on and he got all teary eyed and choked up. And I just thought that was so sweet because, you know, you know, your kids love you, but for him to just have tears rolling down his face in front of 20 people just meant the world to me, if that makes any sense. It totally does. And... I, yeah, that makes
0: complete sense. And then my guess is he rebounded, and was pretty positive, mm-hmm. and offered you
2: a lot of positivity as you went through this for sure. I mean, he was my cheerleader. So was my husband and Max too. My other one. Yeah. Um, and he, Max ended up going to school. Yes, yeah, so Max at, went to USC as well. Uh, became president of the fraternity and graduated magna cum laude and is working now. And I don't know where all these years went, but yeah.
1: Does he see? Do the brothers see each other a lot?
2: Um, well, when they were both at USC, they did, and then uh, just distance-wise, I mean, they're 20 minutes apart technically, but in LA, that's it's an, hour, an hour or more. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, they do see each other um, when they can. And um, I think they just had dinner the other night because my husband's out there. So they're, and they're very close, but just distance wise, not so much.
0: So Leslie, we are so happy you're cancer-free and we pray you continue to be cancer-free. And somehow I think that positivity is paying off in spades at this point for you. You have been through a lot, clearly. You are at the place now, both your boys are on their own and Contributing members of society, which we all like it when our kids get to that
2: point, right? Yep. Off the payroll. Off the payroll. (laughs) Exactly. What are you spending your time doing? What's your focus? I do spend a lot of time uh, working on the foundation and um, trying to keep what we're doing moving forward. Uh, We have an amazing board and... Uh, we actually have a board meeting tonight, ah. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time on that, and we well we also have a dog, Marty, who takes up a lot of my time. And Marty has a
0: his own Instagram page.
2: Yes, Instagram site, I should say. I right? Do not
0: know
1: that. Yes, yes.
2: I don't have one, but Marty has one. Mm-hmm. He's Brindle Boy Marty.
1: Brindle Boy Marty. I have to look mm-hmm. that up
2: and. And follow. Marty is a he's a French bulldog, sassy, funny, naughty, a handful, um, excitable. I mean, he's just he's the coolest dog. I think.
0: Well, Leslie, if you were to be described as a dog... <laughs> I'd have to be Marty. Would you be Marty? As you're describing Marty uh, with a little twinkle in your eyes, sassy, a little naughty, yeah.
2: <laughs> all of these we things. We have a lot in common, I think. You know, I, I like to play around. I can be a prankster. I can be naughty. I push the envelope. You know, I get excited over things. I mean, if Jack, let's say he moved his middle toe or his big toe one day, this is a couple of years ago, he won't tell me because I get so excited. (laughs) I find out on Twitter or Instagram (laughs) what Jack has done. And then I'll call him and go, why didn't you tell me? He goes, because you get so excited. So that's the French bulldog in me, I think. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. So
0: I want to go back to the foundation because we ask everyone on our show, about a nonprofit. And of course, we want to highlight the nonprofit. What are the biggest needs? What are you seeing happening? What are, What's changed? Because that's it's been about nine years, hasn't it?
2: Because right. it's been about 10 years. it 10 in December. Yes. I think the biggest thing is awareness. I, I never really knew much about paralysis until Jack was injured or spinal cord injury. It just wasn't in my world. But I, I think when Jack was injured, the world kind of paid attention to him, which is amazing. And I, I think that's brought awareness to being paralyzed or or to what happens to people when they're injured like that. I think the biggest thing is research. And there has been a lot of research going on over the years, but we just didn't know a lot about it. But now the biggest thing is recovery is possible. And the two things that we're funding right now, one is a project at the Mayo Clinic where Paraplegics are getting back function of their lower limbs and it's all through electrical stimulation and whatnot. And then the other one is at UCLA, and they're working with quads like Jack, who can get hand and um, arm function back. And that could be life-changing. So just to to get things back that you lost, and people really don't think beyond, well, you just can't walk. There's so many other things that you lose, is just life-changing. And so we're behind that as a foundation. There are other foundations that provide support to families or help them get the things they need, but that's not what we do. Our focus is clearly on research. Research, education, awareness pulls into that. Do you try
1: to keep the dollars in Minnesota, or will you you spread your dollars?
2: Well, so the Mayo Clinic obviously is here, and then the UCLA Project is California, so it's... It doesn't really matter where the project is. Is It's more of what is it, right. and what are they doing, and is it going to help? And so that's kind of the basis of it.
0: And you have a volunteer board. Volunteer and board. And you have a
2: volunteer... Uh, medical advisory. Right. There's not much overhead at all. Right. And so everything that we do raise basically goes to the research. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Website for that organization. Has it changed now? Because you were saying you changed
2: the name. So it's still BelieveFoundation.org and it's B-E-L. One, three VE, we're in the process of trying to update the website so that it's a lot cleaner. And we're trying to tell the stories about the people that have gone through these studies and what their progress is. So we'll be doing blog pages on that. And then just kind of listing all the the studies that are happening so you can go to a section and, and understand. Because a lot of people go to the website that are new to paralysis. and spinal cord injury. So you you would search that and you land on our pages a lot. And we just want to help inform people of this is what's happened. This is what is happening now in the recovery world. And then, of course, there's a donate button. And then we list our events on there as well. And you have an event coming up. We do. It looks like it will be October 23rd. And it's our annual gala. And the Minnesota Wild co-hosts it with us. So it's a pregame party, um, sort of party. It's a an informative event, but it's fun. And it has a cocktail hour. And it's usually in the River Center. And then we all go upstairs. And part of your package, if you buy into the package is to get a suite. So we put everybody up in the suites and you have a buffet dinner and you watch the wild game. How fun. It's a great event. Does
1: Jack come in for it?
2: Yes, he does. I mean, one year he didn't. I forget why we couldn't get him out here. And it makes a difference when he's here and not here. Jeremy Roenick, who's a huge hockey guy, usually is Jack's sidekick for the event. And you know, sometimes we get retired hockey players that are there, like Jordan Leopold. He and his wife are always there. It's a real hockey community event, but you don't have to love hockey to enjoy the event. And a shout out to the Leopolds. They have Mississippi Gardens. They are so
0: wonderful. Why am I blanking on Jordan's wife's name? Jamie. Jamie. And we know Jamie's parents. Many, many years ago, I was in the Mrs. Minnesota pageant. Uh, oh, Katie I did not, <laughs> I did not know that <laughs> and okay we've been doing a podcast for a year known I each know. other for nine years you're just I gonna know. throw this one yep. at me <laughs> I am I am and Jamie's mother is Robin Daphne, and Robin was Mrs. Minnesota the year that I was involved so she was the reigning Mrs. Minnesota oh, I did not the know the year this. that I was involved yes and she's got a lovely story and probably someone that we should have on the uh, podcast at some point and she has they have three daughters and 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 obviously, us with three daughters, we connected with them. And Mark and Robin are just lovely people. And their their kids, and the Leopolds particularly, are so good about donating and giving back. And Mm -hmm. yeah,
2: really have to give them a little throw out there. Yeah, we do our wine event at Mississippi Gardens. Yes. We'll be doing that again next year. And you usually, you said in March? It's usually in March, uh, so we'll see what the calendar pans out to be next year, but it's a fun event, and that is a beautiful venue. It is so gorgeous. Yes. Have you been to any events there? I have not. It sits on
0: the Mississippi River, really very close to 694 Mm -hmm. and... 94, which sounds like a crazy place, but it's tucked down in and so gorgeous and easy to get to. And they've done an amazing, amazing job with it.
2: Lastly,
1: I hope you get to meet Bruce Springsteen again and tell him that story. Because I have to. That's
2: one crazy, fun story. I have to. Well, we're going to Springsteen on Broadway again. You we, did it. You bought the tickets. I, don't ask me to tell that story on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we're going the very last night. So I know I won't meet him at that, but I hope there's a day when I can tell him my story again. I wouldn't say you won't meet him that night. Who
0: knows what's going to happen? Set your intent. No. You have done a lovely job of setting intent. <laughs> uh, Don't that's stop a, that's now.
2: A, that's a steep one to meet. <laughs> but at least we'll be there. We have pretty good seats, so I'm excited. Fantastic. That's his very last show. Really? Yeah.
1: And That I didn't know. I listened to... His podcast that he just did with Barack Obama.
2: Aren't those great? They're coming out with a book in October.
1: Oh, that I didn't know, I but I listened to the whole series. And I just loved how Bruce Springsteen, you know, he was just who he is. He's real. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. a, he's a real guy and yeah. how he talks about what he did wrong. Mm-hmm. He's, you know? he's an open book. He's an open book. And his daughter just got a medal
2: at the Olympics. I know. That is fantastic. Yeah. And Patty, his wife, is. I, I think they're one of the most amazing couples and I, I just, how do you work with somebody and live with somebody and, and, you know, you play in a band and you get along and when you see them, especially in concert or in Springsteen on Broadway, the look between their eyes is like, you don't see that in everybody. No. And they're an amazing couple. And I think she's been his rock.
1: It appears that way when you listen to the
2: yeah. podcast. And it's real. It's, you see it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Awesome is
0: what you are Leslie Jablonski. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I could have talked to Leslie
1: the rest of the day. <laughs> I agree. She's just wonderful. I want to just like carry her around. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just she's smiling and she's just always positive and funny. Yeah. And smiling. She, really she smiles the whole time.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Just like me, Katie. <laughs> just exactly. Oh my gosh, Lisa, I was thinking that exact same thing. Actually, I was thinking as we took a picture and once again we have a guest who is looking eye to eye with you. What do you mean? Of uh, she is tiny in stature, oh, tiny like in you stature, are. Eye-to-eye. So you can't carry her around. I could carry you both around. <laughs> <laughs> but no, truly truly wonderful and I, you know, people come into your life for reasons and I think that even for us our job and if we can through this podcast give others a glimpse into people's lives so that they can glean something positive in their daily life. I agree. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast. It is. It is. We're very fortunate. We are very fortunate. And And I've met a
1: lot of wonderful people along the way and hope to continue to meet more. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, with that, let's wrap up, shall we? Okay. Once again... If people want to get a hold of you, Lisa at wardrobeconsulting.net. And me, I am Katie at katieharms.com. You can find us both at theviewinyourmirror.com, and we are on social media as well. Send us a note, say hello, and we want you to have the best view in your mirror that you possibly can. Until next time.